Again, thank you for being here. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you. If you're joining us, maybe you've been in the past, we want to welcome you. We are finishing up this week a series uh, that I started right before Christmas, and we entitled it All in a Name, and the, the thought behind this series, again, I'll just kind of reiterate, just going through the names of Christ, and I shared this last week, there's over 700 different names in the, throughout Scripture that speak of the name of Christ in, in some way, shape, or form, and Obviously, in the course of four weeks, we haven't hit on every one of those, but we, we tried to hit on the names of Christ that really re- related to the, the birth, and so we hit on a number of different things. And so this morning, though we're after Christmas, uh, I'm going to kind of really tailor this to, to lead us into what we're going to go into next the next few weeks. And um, again, I pray that you had a good holiday with your family, with Christmas, and I uh, got to spend some time with them, and uh, I pray, I'll ask that you would continue to pray for, one our church, but pray for myself, I'm in uh, two weeks, I am on a plane to go to Israel, and I'll be there for a, a week, and I'm excited to be able to just uh, explore and to be on tours, and I purchased my flight from here to LA yesterday, so I got that all done, and uh, so I am, and then I got headphones because being on a plane for 14 hours, I wanted uh, headphones so that I could shut out the world and hopefully sleep. I've never been on a plane that long. I can't sleep between here and when I go back east or three, four hours. I've never been able to sleep on a plane. So I hope I can fall asleep on a plane for 14 hours. But uh, nonetheless, I just ask that you pray. There's a number of things where I'm, I'm taking that trip. And I'll share more with you in the next couple of weeks, uh, some of the different trips. In, in February, I'm, my wife and I are going to Guatemala to, to do a survey trip. And my goal is that we'd come back and that you would be going with us. Um, and then I'm doing a trip in March with a couple folks from our church as well. But um, just continue to, to keep uh, some of those things in your prayers. I would ask that. And I'm excited for what's going on here. And I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do this next year and, and all the different things. But I say all that as I get into this all in a name this morning. Really what we're going to hit on this morning is going to take us, as I said into a series that will start next week for just a few weeks, but I believe that what I'm going to talk on this morning is the the baseline, the foundation of everything, really, of our Christian life. And and what we're going to get onto this morning as we wrap up this series is, as we look at, the, we'll kind of hit a little bit on the Christmas story briefly, very briefly, but as we look in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 11, one of the different names that was mentioned at the birth of Christ in verse, or chapter 2 in Luke, verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And what I'm going to talk on this morning is the Lord and what that means and, and how we can apply it to our life and the message of what that is. And, and, and we see, and we'll read here at the beginning, a number of different pastors. I'm going to just kind of fly through some scripture this morning, but... And as with so many different passages of Scripture, you can, if you look at the different, again, I'm not the greatest of all theologians in the world, but as you, you study the different words, and, and I don't know the Greek, and I don't know the Hebrew, but I can read in a book. So as I've studied and as I've looked, and you guys could do the same thing, you can look in different words all throughout based on 
from one scripture to the next, it may be the same exact word, but the meaning would be different. And so we're going to see throughout scripture a little bit this morning, the word Lord and what it means and how it applies to us and in and, and the Old Testament and New Testament and different things. But, but as we see, it says in verse two or chapter two and verse 11, unto us or unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. If we go to Acts chapter number two, In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 36, we see um, another passage of Scripture in verse 36. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then in Romans chapter 10, uh, a familiar passage that many of us would know probably just by heart. It's something that you would read through if you're a Romans road person. But in Romans 10 and verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And as we go through, we've, we, many of you would, we would know and we could, we could talk throughout Scripture where it says Lord Jesus or Christ or Lord. And, and, but so many of these things, and I said that that I believe that the Lord part of this is probably so fundamental and so foundation to everything that we would be and what we would do as a Christian. Uh, Because it means Lord is taking and making the Lord the Lord of my life. Which I think oftentimes, and we'll get into this this morning, I better slow down, but is one of the areas that we as Christians lack. And so as we go through this morning... When we look at the different names of Christ and we, we kind of go through, uh, I guess if I were to just kind of scan the room and start asking you guys questions and, and asking you some of the different names that you may have hold or, or held or titles or the office that you may have held. And you go, what are you talking about? And this is just kind of one of the things that we're getting into when, when you look at Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ or all of these different names, they all basically just have a different meaning, title, so to speak. It's, it's a different office, it's a different position or whatever that we would look and how it's spoken. Just like, I'll just kind of share, uh, when I was in college, I was, or when I was growing up, I was just simply Aaron Flanagan, just like most of you. As I got out of college, my first job, one of my first jobs was in teaching. And the most awkward thing to me, was being called Mr. Flanagan. Uh, at 24 years of age, I moved to town and I taught at a Christian school. And to be called Mr. Flanagan by kids that were 8 to 10 years younger than me was just really weird because I just, just call me Aaron. I'm very good with that. But I, I learned that I needed that Mr. Flanagan at school. You have to do that. Another thing that I did was I coached baseball, and I've coached basketball, and I've coached volleyball. And so in those, those times, I wasn't Mr. Flanagan. I was Coach Aaron or Coach Flanagan. One day, hopefully not anytime soon, my title might change from dad to grandfather. Or poppy or whatever the nicknames that wherever all these things come from, I don't know, but... Like I said, not anytime soon. But our titles change. If you've been in the military, <clears throat> hopefully your title changed throughout your ranking in the military. Otherwise, you probably weren't there very long, and that would be a fun story to hear. But your title, based on your ranks, change. 
I was asked, I was talking to, uh, I think it was Roxanne McDerris, who's an officer here in Las Vegas uh, Metro, and she was asking me questions. I told her I had a meeting, and I was talking to different people, and she goes, well, was he sergeant, lieutenant, was he this, was he that? Well, what, how many stripes did he have? And I'm like, I have no idea. She goes, well, you need to pay attention to those things. I said, I'm sure I do, but I have no idea who this guy was. I could tell you his name. All of those stripes mean something different, which give you rank, which give you a different title and all those different things. And I say all that again, this isn't that Christ had a higher or a different title as he, but every title that we see with Christ would be similar to what you and I, I'm still Aaron Flanagan, but now you call me pastor as opposed to Aaron. I was still Aaron Flanagan, but my students called me Mr. Flanagan. My mom teaches and she says it all the time when she's out in the mall or she's out anywhere and she hears Mrs. Flanagan, she always knows it has to be a student because nobody else calls her that. If you're in education, you would probably say the same thing. Funny story, I was at the mall when I first moved out here and apparently teachers don't go anywhere but to the classroom and to the home. But I saw a kid, one of the students, and I taught junior high and high school at the time and one of the students says, Oh, Mr. Flanagan, you're at the mall? I'm like, well, yeah. I go shopping too. (laughs) Like, my clothes just don't happen to appear in my house. But nonetheless, we use those titles and we use those different things in Christ. As we look throughout Scripture, the titles and the meanings and the names of Jesus, um, they may change, but... And all those meanings have different something different in them. In the Gospels, Jesus was most often referred to as Jesus. Though we see here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 that he was uh, being in office of Lord. In the book of Acts, the title Lord became more common, which was more, most common in, in, in the book of Luke was Jesus or God being called Lord. And one of the things throughout studying that I found in a couple different things was they would use this as an advantage or as a thought because of when you look at the, the word Lord or we look at that, there's a relationship that would go with the Lord and to us as a Christian. Um, it's not just the name or a title, it's a relationship as the Lord would have dominion over or the Lord would have uh, rule over. If Jesus is Lord, then He is Lord of something or someone. If you think about this, many of us, though we may not like to think this or other people may not like to think this, but He is Lord of your life whether or not you want Him to be. Isn't that kind of uh, strange or different thinking or different thought? Regardless of whether you make Him Lord of your life, He is the Lord of your life. He pulls all the strings, He calls all the shots, whether we like it or we don't like it. But as we go throughout, a Lord has dominion over one, and the Lord will be the Lord. If He isn't recognized as Lord today, in the book of Philippians, we've read this a number of times, but in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 11, we would see in that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, whether we like it or not, we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so as we look through and as we go through this whole thought, I may not choose to recognize Him as Lord today, 
one day I may be coerced into recognizing Him as Lord upon His return. And so before we get into all the different points this morning, which there aren't, there's just a couple points and I have a couple side notes inside of those, but just as we think through, I don't know what your, your devotional life is, your prayer life is, or your relationship with the Lord is, but as we, as we go through this this morning, one of the things that kind of I just thought of as we look at Lord, we would do a number of different things based on someone's title. If we were to see the president or if we were to see a king or a queen or if we were to see any of those people, we would treat them with respect, with a certain dignity because of their title and who they are. We would even, to some degree, if you may even bow because that's the respect that is due to that office or whatever it would be. But one of the things that we do is when you pray, we bow our heads in prayer. And part of that bowing is a respect, is a reverence, is a, as we even spoke a couple weeks ago about the awe or the marvel of who God is, that we would bow in respect and awe of who God is. Now, again, you can pray and you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes. I pray when I drive quite often. I get in the car, I'm in a car by myself, I'll turn the radio off and I'll just talk to God. You don't want me to close my eyes, nor do I want you to do that. Though I think some people close their eyes when they drive in Las Vegas. It's everywhere. I think it's mainly in Las Vegas. Maybe in L.A. But, uh, but nonetheless, we don't have to do that. But out of reverence and out of, of respect of the Lord, we would bow our head. And that came way, way back in history when it came to, to the reverence or the awe of these different titles that would be held. And so as we look at this and as we continue to go in this morning, really we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the meaning and we're going to talk about the message of the name Lord. And as we look the first point there, the meaning of His name, looking at the word Lord in the New Testament, there's a number of different meanings to this name. And this is where you can follow me in Scripture. I'm just going to kind of rattle through some of these things, but... um, If you want to write them down and you can take them and study them later, they'll all be on the screens, but we're just going to kind of go through. I'm probably not going to flip into each one of them in my Bible. I'll probably read them from the screens, but the meaning of Lord throughout Scripture is all over the place with one same similar thought or pattern, one being respect and love and honor and and, and all of those things. But we'll start Luke chapter 19, verse 33. Luke 19, verse 33, And as they were losing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? You go, it doesn't even say Lord in that passage of Scripture. The word owner there would be referencing the thought of Lord. This word, though, is stated here as Lord, the same Greek word used as an owner. So, in Luke 19, the word Lord being referenced as owner. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8 It says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Lord is, Son of Man is the Lord over anything, including the Sabbath. Matthew 6, verse 24. It says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. The word Lord here being referenced as master. As we look in Acts chapter 25 and then Revelation chapter 17, but Acts 25 verse 26, we see here this is referencing 
the Lord as an emperor or as a king, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord or unto my king. Wherefore I have brought him forth before you, and specially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. This verse, I've read this a million times, I've quoted it many, many times, and it jumped out at me this week. And maybe you have, and again, this isn't something I just realized, it wasn't a revelation just that I've never known, but as I was reading, as I was studying, for He is Lord, capital L, of Lord, lowercase l. When we look at, at our day and age, and we look through all, all throughout history, Jesus Christ is the Lord, capital L, of Lords, He is the King of Kings. There is nobody higher. There is no Lord over Him. There is nothing. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. In that reference, again, the Emperor, the King. Matthew 21, in verse number 30, we see this is reverence or respect of a father. And He came to the second and said likewise. And He answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Again, that sir is looking as reference. Again, some of these you just have to take in context and we're not studying all of them, but... In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, in this day and age, this would really freak out a lot of uh, feminists. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. But Sarah referenced her husband as Lord. In Matthew thirteen twenty seven, we see the master so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tares? Again, looking at Sir as master. Matthew twenty-seven sixty-three. we're looking at him as ruler, saying, Sir, the ruler, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Acts chapter 10 and verse 4 looks at him, looks at the word Lord as angel. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Acts 16 and verse number 30. We know this passage of Scripture as the, the jailer, the, the, the Paul, and they were in jail and the, everything broke out and they were, the jailer was afraid and he looks at him and says, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? As he looked at these strange men, as these strangers, and said, Hey, hey what do I need to do that I can have that God that you, whatever you just did, did. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 5. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many. But we look here at lords as a pagan idol or, or deity. And these are all different translations of the word Lord that are used in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, again we see another passage of Scripture, Matthew 4. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And this would go referencing back to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the Lord being Jehovah. In Matthew 1 and verse 22, we read this a number of weeks back, but in one twenty-two, we would see that now all, that, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord, Adonai, by the prophet and then in 1 Peter 1 and verse 25, 
And then we'll get into the bulk of the message here. But, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And we see here this word Lord being Elohim. And as we look through this, as we go through and we look at the thought of the meaning, and there's many, many meanings as you can just see. I just kind of grabbed a handful of them. What are some things that we need to do or how we should act in response to the Christ as Lord as we look through these? All of those have different meanings. All of them have different thoughts behind them. Whether it would be a a king or an emperor, whether it would be a master, or whether it would be Jesus being the Lord of everything, whatever it would be, they all have certain things. So how do I respond to those things? One of them is simple, which is something I don't believe that we have a lot of in our society, but simple respect. So the word was used then as a word of respect. Just as if, if you were to bring this up, and, and as I shared, the, I was kind of being silly, but in First Peter where, where it was used as a husband. Today, if we were to, my wife were to call me Lord in our home, one that would be very awkward. But what it was used, it wasn't as the Lord, dictator, controller, whatever, it was used as a word out of respect. Today in our day and age, I would probably be taken to jail or something. Somebody would take me up because I make my wife call me Lord. Well, we live in a different age, but the reality is the the word Lord shows respect. I think of that word and as we use it for... As I said, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, as we would use it for those types of meanings of names as a, as a king or a, a, a queen or whatever, when we talk in that, that generality, the respect that we would give to those people. The respect that many of us would have if we were to, to have the president walk through the door, the respect that you would give him per his office, whether you agree with his philosophies on being the President of the United States, or you disagree with him, the respect that is due the office, we would stand, we would look him in the eyes, we would shake his hand, we may bow at him, not bow in the sense of, but we would, we would give him that respect. As the quote-unquote Lord, so to speak, of the United States. And I know that's not what it is, but you understand what I'm going there. The respect that would be due. And how we should we do that for somebody that we would see. If you're in the military and you saw somebody at a higher rank than you, how you treat that person with respect and dignity. But yet so many times we don't do the same with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Service. We would give respect, we would give service. When speaking and using this word, it would mean a willingness to serve the one in which you were to address as Lord. How much more we should serve our Lord. This one kind of is a, a different thought, but the right of disposal. The Lord as owner had and has a right of disposal. He could dispose of those under His care at any time and however He wanted If we were to go back and look at a lord or maybe a slaveholder or whatever it would be, they could do with that person however he wanted. Think about that as the Lord. We may not agree with somebody that passed. 
We may not agree or like the circumstance or the situation. How many times you hear it, well, if God's a God that's loving, if God's a God that cares, why would He allow this to take place? Why would He, though we don't like it, per sin, we have things that take place. Because there is sin, there is cancer. Because there is sin, there is the flu. There is the common cold. There is whatever ailment or whatever thing that you don't like, there is because of sin. Because of sin, we would have a tsunami that would take out lots of people. Because of sin, there would be an earthquake, a tornado, or whatever. And, and it sounds whatever, and it may sound cruel and rude and nasty, but because of that, it's, He is the Lord, and it's at His disposal. My time isn't at my in my hands. My time is in His hands. And when my time comes, it's my time. There's nothing I can do and there's nothing I could do to stop it or there's nothing I can do to help it. Sure, we can... I'm sure you are all on the diet this last week. You could eat healthy and you could do the best that you can to stay healthy and to help life and to make it better. But the reality of it is, the most healthy person will pass away in their time, in God's time. Not because they ate right or they didn't eat right, but because it was their time to go. I got a call this morning, and uh, the gentleman, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a gentleman that parks his uh, truck, his big rig, down in our parking lot. He lives in the the, uh, house's across the street there. Uh, His wife's mother passed away about two or three weeks ago. She called me. She says, I know you don't know who I am other than just the little bit that we've talked with the car or the truck being parked there. She needs a pastor to speak their message or to speak for their funeral service. She wasn't expecting the death of her mother. It was her time. I'll guarantee you she wasn't expecting to come to Oasis Baptist Church and ask me to speak the funeral. I have no idea who this lady is. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know anything about her. But here's what I know. God ordained that couple to park that truck in our parking lot so that when she comes in my office this week, I can present the gospel to her and her husband. And I don't know what will come of that. I don't know what will come of a funeral service being held here or somewhere else. I really don't know. But... Per God's timing of that mother passing away about a month to two months after, well, probably about three months after us meeting and her parking a truck in our driveway, the gospel presentation will be presented to that lady and her husband and anybody that's at a funeral service in just a few weeks. That's not my timing, that's God's timing. And though we might look at that and we go, well, that's kind of mean, that's kind of nasty, it's the right of His disposal, well, per Lord of lords and king of kings, he has at his disposal to do with me as he wishes. Though I may not like it all the time. The rule and hold authority. The Lord should have authority over us. We should be subject to him. In the day and age of the Bible or our cultural context of these passages and talking of the Lord and absolute authority, I would say this is Something that we don't like to talk about often is 
the Lord or anybody having authority over anybody. Watch the news. We don't like authority. Our society doesn't like authority. The society in which we live doesn't like absolute anything. Because I can make my own decisions. I know better. Well, per the word of God, the Lord knows best. Per the word of God, the Lord should have authority in my life. And we'll get to that in just a second before I get ahead of myself here. But let's look real quickly. There's three other things within this point of the meaning of of Scripture. But three references for the disciples of Jesus being Lord. If we look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse number 5. And we're going to fly through this real quick here. But in Luke 5 and verse number 5. We see in Simon answering said unto him. Master We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let the net down. We see here that Peter, a fisherman, basically, if you know the story, we're not going to go through the depths of it here, but going out fishing and Jesus said, hey, let your net down. Peter's like, Lord, God, I've been doing this. There are no fish. I'm catching nothing. He said, hey, go out there. Okay. He says in verse 5, answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, but basically, listen, you've done it just as well as I've done it. We've, we've looked at our boss, we've looked at our parents, we've looked at somebody and said, you know what, I'm just going to do it so you'll be quiet. That's basically what Peter did. God, okay, listen, I'm going to do it. Nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to come of this. I'm going to put the net down one more time just to, to do it. Obviously, we know the Scripture But in verse number 8, you see the change in what Peter, after he saw what he did. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then he says what? O Lord. When he first said it in verse 5, he said, Master. Then he changes. Master being teacher. Master being more an education type of a thought. He changes and says, Oh, Lord, ruler, king, emperor, authority. He changes his thought. The Last Supper, Matthew 26, verse 22. The disciples' speech and their attitude toward Jesus when he announced one would betray him. Matthew 26, verse 22. Matthew 26, 22, if I can get there. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Again, we see prior to Jesus saying, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Lord, is it I? Later in verse number 25, we see Judas's response. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. In John chapter 20, doubting Thomas, we, we know this story of, of John saying, or Thomas, man, I don't know that I believe this. I got to feel the hands. I got to feel. I got to see those scars. I got to feel. I got to touch it. 
I don't know how many of you are that type of person where you don't necessarily believe it until you see it and you touch it and you can, I'm a very tangible person. I've got to put my hands on everything. For me to really grasp it here, I've got to, I've got to touch it and feel it. I can read through my Kindle, but I do so much better when I read a book and I can touch it and I can write. Some people, I, anyway, but we've got to touch and feel it. Thomas, in verse 28 of chapter 20 in, in John says, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. This is the peak, the height, the apex, whatever you want to call that in the book of John. This is the, the most, the highest stated Anything of Christ mentioned in the Gospels is Thomas looking at him and saying, my Lord and my God. After he doubted, after he questioned, he came to a place where he said, my Lord and my God. Lord is the most often name used in the book of Acts, as I mentioned earlier. Was the name given or was the name God used in, of Jesus at his resurrection in Philippians chapter 2? The Lordship is a post-resurrection emphasis, was a constant theme in preaching. 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter number 4 and verse number 5, if we have that one, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 5, we see, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Today, this should be a big deal to us in our day and age. However, I'm afraid many of us, just like Judas, refer to him as master and not Lord over their lives. As we wrap this part up of a service and we go to the next point, I just that would be the simple question to you. Is Jesus simply a master to you or is Jesus the Lord to you? Is Jesus the master teacher or is he the Lord, the authority, the, the bottom line? He is Lord. Two completely different things. Judas said, Master, is it me? While the others bowed basically, Lord, Lord, is it me? Am I, is that me? Am I going to do that? It's two completely different things. I would say for most of us, Often, myself included, that Jesus is many times the master, but not Lord. The last point this morning is the message of the name. As we've seen, and I pray that I've communicated to the best of my ability that you would understand, and the names of Christ as I've spoken, I've taught them over the course of a number of, of weeks here that you, you've understood or learned or grasped. But some would argue, if we were to look in, in Romans chapter 10, and this is a passage we went to right there at the beginning, but in Romans 10 and verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There are some that would argue that minus a, a true, drastic measure of change based on repentance, there isn't salvation. And what this is, is they basically, without making Christ the Lord of your life and your life completely going from this way to this way, that there is no salvation. 
And I, we, you could, we could sit and argue and debate and debate and debate and argue and go back and forth. And it's one of those things I was t- sharing with a couple just a, before the service. There's certain things that you can argue, certain things that I won't ever know. I don't know if you've given your life completely 100% to God no more than you know. Basically, we know by the fruits that we bear. But when we look at this and we start thinking of making Christ the Lord of our lives... And we start looking and we could go through the, 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 the thought of repentance and we can go through that part of salvation and forgiveness and the evidence would be different for each of us. Some of you, like myself, you accepted Christ at an early age at six, seven, eight years old, maybe five, whatever years, what might be, and the proof of your salvation at seven years old would be completely different than the alcoholic that got saved at 45 years old and never touched an alcoholic beverage again in his life. You would look at that person and you'd go, that man got Jesus. Where you might look at me and go, well, he was eight years old, seven years old, six years old, and my assumption is his sin life wasn't so great. Though we're sinners at six, seven, eight years old. So for you that got saved like myself as a child, making Christ the Lord of your life may not have taken place at the age of seven when you accepted Christ. It may have taken place more in your teen years or maybe even into adulthood when you truly just said, I understand it, God is now the Lord of my life. But as we look here, this passage of Scripture in just a second I'm going to look at, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 30. I am lying. Verse number 3, not 30. That would have nothing to do with what we're going at. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. This just passage just kind of made me think, I guess, maybe more than anything, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Man, when the Holy Spirit fills us, He gives us the power to say Jesus is Lord, and He gives us the power to live as Jesus is Lord. He gives us the power to act as Jesus is Lord, only through the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. I don't have the power in and of myself to make Christ the Lord of my life. Neither do you. I am a sin-sick person who enjoys the pleasures of this world and of this life. And I don't have the power within myself outside of the Holy Ghost. I feel that all Christians at some point in their lives need to put Christ on the throne in their lives. In 1 Peter 3, it talks about sanctifying the Lord. In chapter 12 of Romans, verse number 1, it speaks again of something similar in that sanctification that I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So in 1 Peter 3, it speaks that we would sanctify ourselves into the Lord, that we would, it's a process of me setting myself apart for Christ, that the Lord would become Lord of my life. It's such a foundation of Biblical stewardship of our lives. And I say stewardship not as 
only in finances, but stewardship managing our life. It is placing your all on the altar for God, recognizing not just the tithe is the Lord's, but that all of it is the Lord's. This is an experience of the believer. Lordship is for the Christian. Grace is for the unsaved. Failure to recognize Jesus as Lord in your life or in my life will result in frustration in our Christian life. The failure to recognize Jesus as Lord in your life or in my life will result in frustration in our Christian life. I don't know how many of you have lived your Christian life and done what I did, especially in my teen years and growing up, and you start to question and doubt your salvation. Teenagers all the time, as I worked with students in student ministry over the course of a, a 10 years or so, so many times they would ask that question. How do I know? What is this? They would start to doubt their life, their salvation. As I read that quote, I started to think. When Christ isn't the Lord of my life, that means my life is full of sin and the pleasures of the world and everything else and Satan has a hold on me in so many different areas of my life that I begin to question, man, have I ever even done this? Do I know the Lord is my Savior? Do I... Where am I on this thing? When I make the Lord the Lord of my life, I don't ever question my salvation because I know because He has authority over me, the Holy Spirit has given me that, and He is the Lord of my life. When I start dabbling in all the sins of this world and I start putting it out there and I start taking this and taking this and taking this and taking this, I get home and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and why am I doing this? Who am I? There's times that I've went and I've looked in the mirror and I've said, I don't like you. Why? Because I've allowed myself to dabble in so many different things that I get to the point where I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I don't understand. And Why? Because He's not the Lord of my life. He's not the Lord of your life. It gives just the foothold that Satan needs. I lost my notes. Lordship marks the progress of growth in your Christian life. The more we confess, the closer and closer we become to Him and make Him Lord over those areas of our lives. Lordship means surrender. I'm just going to give you a a quick quote here. In a meeting of several Christian leaders last century, the question was asked, what is the greatest need in Christian circles? A Scottish missionary, without hesitation, said this, Absolute surrender. Most all problems we deal with as Christians would solve themselves and we wouldn't really even have them as issues if we would totally and completely surrender to Christ. Man, how true is that? If I would just surrender everything of me to God, making Him Lord of my life, How many of the petty things that we deal with on a regular basis that become major issues would not become a major issue anymore? But because we haven't completely surrendered. Luke 9 and verse 23. I promise I'm almost done. He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Romans chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go to Romans with me in just a minute. We're going to go through a number of passages in Romans. 
But in Romans chapter 6, in verse number 13, For unto the law I am lying, for neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We're going to look at a couple things in Romans chapter 6 and then we're done. But in Romans chapter 6, there's two different things that we look at that, it's, that it mentions here that we would yield and surrender. Throughout this, this passage, throughout this chapter, it mentions yielding and surrendering. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of, ye, of us... As we're baptized into Christ, Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. In verse number 9 it says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. In verse numbers 3 and 9 it mentions the word no. No is the basic of victory in the Christian life, in his death and the resurrection. When we look at that, know ye not. That so many were baptized, and then in verse number 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead. We have to know the basis of victory in the Christian life is death and resurrection. In verse number six, or chapter 6 and verse number 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, meaning to count or rely upon these facts to be true concerning. I am, I am reckoning, I am I'm. I'm relying, I am counting that all these things would be true. In verse number 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Verse number 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Verse number 19, I speak after... Uh, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Speaking of yielding, to present ourselves once and for all to God as His possession and for His use. It speaks of obedience in both of those passages that we just read, but also in verse 16 and 17. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was uh, delivered you. When we look at that passage in, in I would challenge you just to go through and study that on your own in chapter 6 of Romans, but we would yield and surrender ourselves to God. Lordship is more than just yielding. Lordship means control. It's doing both. It's yielding and surrendering. As we conclude, the part of lordship is that we would give of ourselves. We're going to talk about stewardship in the next few weeks, but the basis of our Christian life is what we talked about this, evening, this morning. Making Christ the Lord of our lives. When I make Christ the Lord of my life, 
That doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be rich. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to get sick. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to lose a loved one. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it simply means is that God now is the controller of my life. And so when those things take place that I may not like or I may not agree with, He is the Lord of my life. My relationship is right with Him. Therefore, all of the other things, when we talked about the different names of Christ, all of those names of Christ can line up. Prince of Peace, Comforter, the Almighty God. We can go through all of those things. When He is the Lord of my life, I understand the peace. When He is the Lord of my life, I understand comfort. When He is the Lord of my life, I can place everything else and go, well, guess what? He is the Lord, therefore He dictated this to happen, so He's got it all under control. When He is the Lord of my life, my stewardship whether it's through my finances, whether it's through my time, whether it's through how I deal with my children, regardless of how you want to look at that, my priorities, all of those things, when I look at Christ being the Lord of my life, all of that now takes care of itself. When He is not the Lord of my life, guess what? I don't want to give of my finances to the church because I look at my finances as my finances. When He is not the Lord of my life, I don't have time to serve at the church because it's my life, not His life. When He is not the Lord of my life, I don't have time to be the proper dad because I have to make sure that I have to work hard enough to make enough money to do all these things so that my family is taken care of. Well, guess what? All my family needs is me to have the Lord, the Lord of my life so that I can be the right husband, so that I can be the right dad, so that I can do all those things. My kids don't care how much money I have. They really don't. I can put a box in the, living, in the middle of my living room. I guarantee you my kids will have a whole lot of fun in that box. We kept around a milk. We go to Costco and get milk. They come in two gallons in a box. When my kids were little, we kept one of those boxes probably for a month in our house. What did I do with it? I put my kids in it. And I would run and drag them through my living room. You know what? They didn't care about a toy. They wanted dad. Guess what? When God is not the Lord of my life, my kids need toys. My kids need another movie. My kids need to go to McDonald's and play in the playhouse. My kids need all of these things because I feel that I have to give that to them as the duty of being a father. That's not it. Guess what? When I come to church and God is not the Lord of my life, I look and I go, I don't like how that was set up. I don't like that they ask, They always ask for money and they're always asking for money and they're always asking for money. The church always just bugs for money. If you've been here in any time, half of the services that we take, I forget to take an offering. I don't bug for money. And that is true. I forget. I'm yelled at all the time. You did not do an offering today. But that's how we look at it. Why? Because he's not the Lord of my life. They're always asking us to sign up to, to serve in some capacity of something. I don't have that much time. Guess what? When the Lord's the Lord of my life, I have all kinds of time to serve the Lord. Why? Because he's in number priority number one. Well, I've got kids. So do I. I have four of them. And just about every week you'll see my kids running around this gymnasium as we're doing something here on a Saturday morning. That's so mean to be to your kids. 
So be it. I guess I'm a mean guy. But do you know what? Do you want to know? At nine years old, my oldest is nine. On a regular basis, are we going to church to clean on Saturday? That's not because I'm a great parent. That's because we've attempted. Now, we're, there's no perfection in this home. I can promise you that. We've attempted to make Lord the Lord of our lives and the Lord of our home. And we try to have fun when we come and clean. Cleaning's not fun. Cleaning is really not fun with a four-year-old or a two-year-old or a seven- and a nine-year-old at that. But we attempt to do that with our kids. I get that because fond memories that I have of being at a basement watching my parents clean Milheim Baptist Church when I was probably, I don't know how old, two, three years old. I was scarred for life. But that's what we do now. Oh, my kids are going to be scarred for life. They're never going to want to go to church because all we do is go to the church. Yes, I think you can overdo it. But here's not, it's not what I'm saying. When we make the Lord the Lord of our lives, He is over all things. And it's okay to, to give some time to the Lord. And it's okay to, to give back to the Lord. It's not mine anyways. I can do without. Guess what? I had a great time going and delivering the angel gifts to the families that were in need. My kids had a great time. It was very good for them to see what we gave to those people. Some of them, that was the only gifts that they got all year or for Christmas. And each one of my kids got that many gifts. It was good for them to see that. That didn't take... It didn't scar my kids or ruin my kids. It was an attempt to make the Lord the Lord of my life and, and to give back and to, to go and to fellowship and to be with people. And so as we wrap up this morning, as we wrap up all in a name, I don't know that there's a greater way really to wrap up this whole series as we continue to move forward into 2014 and than to encourage you and to encourage myself and to remind us or whatever you want to look at that as, that God would be the Lord of our lives. And as we continue to move forward, that He would be the Lord in every aspect of our life. Not the Master. Because He's more than just a teacher. He's a ruler. He is the authority over my life. Is he the ruler and authority over your life?